A trigger warning for listeners, this episode covers sexual abuse and domestic violence. You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, I'm joined by co-founder and executive director of It's Not a Compliment, Akanksha Majanath. The aim of the organisation is to end street harassment. Her drive comes from the unshakable belief every person deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. She's worked on campaigns around the world on a range of issues such as affordable housing, foreign aid and human rights. And she joins me now. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's a real pleasure. Now, can you tell me a little about your journey so far? It sounds like it's been a journey that's covered a range of campaigns and a range of issues. Can you talk me through a little of your experience? So campaigning is my happy place. Fundamentally, I would say that I am a campaigner, not an activist, but a campaigner and an advocate for a range of different issues. Um, And the more you work on all these different issues, you realise how interconnected all these different social issues are. So for example, if you are helping raising awareness about the issue of foreign aid, you know, and say there's a country, there's a developing country out there that will be receiving that foreign aid, it actually helps them, um, it helps strengthen the relation, the political relationships uh, between the country giving the aid and then also the country receiving it. But additionally, also makes a huge difference in the socioeconomic development of that country itself. And, you know, that also helps lead to other effects such as um, increased social welfare, increased um, economic job opportunities for the local population. So basically what I'm trying to say is that they're all interlinked. So helping solve one actually helps in a certain way alleviate the other. Now, can you talk me through how it's not a compliment started? It, it sounds like a pretty incredible initiative that addresses something that so many people would have experienced. So it's not a compliment actually started as a little fellowship task. Me and my co-founder met at a fellowship being organized by Democracy in Colour in collaboration with CoHealth. And um, towards the end of the fellowship, you were supposed to put your learnings into a practical task. And, you know, it could be anything. It was organize a meeting with your MP, do a Facebook or social like Instagram post, something small, but also uh, impactful enough that you are able to put in all your learnings into it. And let's just say, me and Annalise just kept going because uh, here we are. Um, we were, like, we just, to be honest though, it wasn't just our determination. It was also how engaging the community has been. Um, I think within a few hours of launching, actually, we had already got so many stories and, um, you know, before we started out, we wanted to make sure that we created a platform where everyone could feel safe about sharing their story, irrespective of who they are, because that way it also helps you know that you are not alone. Mm-hmm. And number two, if you haven't experienced it, it also helps you step into the shoes of someone who has. And um, other than that, it was also ensuring that we go beyond the gender angle because it's not just women and girls who face street harassment. It's also members of the LGBTQIA plus community, people of color, uh, the black and indigenous population, especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are over-policed quite a bit, which also, you know, and like 
if the Black Lives Matter ha- movement has highlighted anything, and it's highlighted many things, is that not all of us enjoy public spaces equally. And um, yeah, that's how it's not a compliment started, a little fellowship task, and we've been going. And I think we were five volunteers last year in uh, March at the beginning of the pandemic, and now we are close to 20. Wow. Um, yeah, and uh, I've, I've introduced two rules. Number one, do not say sorry um, <laughs> unless you've done something truly heinous because women and march, other marginalized groups apologize enough for things yeah. as it is. And number two is that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Mm-hmm. I know people, people know that, but it just also helps to say it out loud sometimes to like, reassure, like um, reaffirm it. And they've all grown so well. And like they've made each of their roles their own. Our approach is community awareness and not criminalization. Number one, stealing is a crime. But um, how do you know that the person who got fined and was also thrown in jail is not going to steal again? You really don't. So criminalizing street harassment, there's no research to prove that they won't do it again. There's no research to prove that they will do it again either so why not you know play it safe in this instance and number two criminalizing street harassment already place a burden on the criminal justice system which already over polices black and indigenous populations as it is and so we really do not want to contribute to um, a situation that is already quite negative and number three while community awareness takes a very long time, especially with something like street harassment that's been normalized for as long as we know. It's it's hard to, it'll take a while, but, you know, changing perceptions about the acceptability of the behavior and also helping the community realize or like being able to identify what street harassment looks like yeah, is also a way of developing empathetic bystanders because it is a safe assumption to make that so many of us have been on the receiving end of street harassment and we've seen bystanders who don't actually do anything and that makes an already terrible situation a lot worse because you feel so lonely and helpless as well hence the community awareness approach because we think that every single person in the community has the power to create safer streets and that together that power is highly magnified hence why we do what we do So the objective really is to not only street harassment but also create awareness. How much of a shift or change do you think you've seen so far through your campaigning? I feel like that is a bit hard to gauge. Um, I would say in the number of stories that have been shared, you know, there's a lot of people out there who go that stories are not important, but actually stories are important for a multiple number, like for a number of reasons. Number one, it allows the person sharing the story to be able to put their experience out there in a way also helping them move forward. Number two would be that they get to share it with a community that stands with them, believes them and supports them. And number three, it takes an immense amount of courage to actually share your story and We've had so many, we've had hundreds of people share their stories. And that makes us so proud is that, you know, all these people felt safe, confident enough to share their stories with us and also with other members of our community. So it shows that we are building solidarity and building a movement that 
is truly united by the belief that we all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. There's stories that we publish. Then there's also stories that people put out when they see other stories put out. And it's hard to count because there's just so many. I know that's one way we would gauge how, gauge our impact, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And the fact that people are just, they feel safe to share their story with us. And I think that's, to us, that's quite a big achievement because, you know, safe spaces aren't out there in abundance. So being able to successfully create a safe space means a lot to us because then we've achieved some of the goals that we started out with. Number two, I guess you could say, is um, the interest that we've seen from other stakeholders in the work that we do. So we are working on a huge project with the city of Melbourne um, where we're going to harness the power of music, craftivism and research to raise awareness about uh, street harassment not being such an innocent little act, but Mm -hmm. also um, help document the unsafe areas in the city of Melbourne, which will help inform their safety practices. Um, And the project is going to be launching in November. So we're very excited about that. That's huge. That sounds like an incredible initiative. If you had seen the number of us like dancing it out on Zoom in our team <laughs> meeting, um, yeah, we were just, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. And also, you know, we've been wanting to get out onto the streets for a while, but it hasn't been safe to do so. And we're hoping that with this project, it's kind of like our public debut that, you know, we're out here, we're doing activism and meaningful activism, and we want everyone to be a part of it. Um, City of Melbourne is very excited. We're very excited. It's a, it's a two-year project, so we're hoping that obviously there's a plan A, which is an ideal world where we would be able to have all the events. And then there's a plan B where we might have to postpone the music event because that's out of all the events, that's the one component we can't do offline. But the other components like the craftivism workshops, a public mural, the guerrilla art installations, Uh, the research, all of it will go ahead as planned. So we're very excited because other than the community awareness approach, we've realized that, um, you know, and for me personally, also having been in and around like the non-for-profit sector space here in Australia, I've realized that the petition rally dance gets old and gets boring. Yes, it's very effective and it's a proven tactic, which is why a lot of organizations go with it because you want to go with something that you know will be successful. Mm -hmm. But how do you know that that translated into an action, number one? Like, for example, the protest in in March, right? The March for Women. How do we know that people who went to that protest actually did something afterwards to help with the movement? You don't. And other, other than that... Like I was previously an international student and I remember going to protests and always being worried about what if something goes wrong because if something does go wrong, that's a one-way ticket to deportation. Even if you have not done something wrong, just by being there in the wrong place, wrong time. And there's that, that burden that you carry, but also as a person with a disability, you know, and I'm not speaking for all people with disabilities, never do that. But like, just in my case, for example, I realized that not all of those rallies are accessible. And I know that rally organizers organizers try very hard, but 
by doing just petitions or rallies, you're not really giving people much of an opportunity to decide what kind of activism they're comfortable with. You're just telling them these are the two forms that are there. You can be comfortable with them. This is how you participate. Whereas in our, at INAC, we want to go beyond just the petition and rally dance. Um, you might never have a rally, but um, we want people to feel comfortable in their activism, you know, and not stressed out about what might go wrong. And also bring the community together in a way that will create long-term, you know, meaningful relationships, mm-hmm. not just with us, but with each other. Uh, for example, the the reason we organize craftivism workshops, that's part of the plan with the city of Melbourne is, you know, that way you get to, you get to have different people from different backgrounds participate in a way that they feel comfortable, but also it's, it's intimate enough that you can talk to each other and learn from each other, but also it's big enough that, you can learn more about the issue, about the cause. You can you can discover the human connections that we all have, irrespective of where we're from. And that way you're building a community that goes street harassment is wrong. And also, you know, we're also interconnected, therefore building community solidarity and harmony as well. So that's that's just an example. There's a lot of different exciting projects that we have um, that we're working on in the background that involve different forms of activism, that involve different tactics as well, so that people can participate and people can have fun, but also and we ensure that it's a meaningful way of participating mm-hmm. as well. Now, the theme of the podcast this season is leadership through adversity. What are some of the challenges that you've faced? I guess for a long time, one of the challenges I faced was um just making it through the day. Uh, the reason I say that is because I faced a number of different types of complex trauma. And so it wasn't an easy childhood in terms of, you know, being sexually abused uh, as, a, as a child um, by my extended family, two members of my extended family, or also witnessing and also receiving, being on the receiving end of domestic violence for over two decades. And Aside from that, you know, I wasn't able to talk about it at school, you know, because as a kid, you're trying to figure out how you fit into the world. And um, it's not something you think you can just openly blurt out to your friends as well. Because, you know, when you're young, you're you're a lot less confident in terms of like, what if I tell my friends and they don't want to be friends with me anymore? Um, Mm -hmm. And then at home, you want to stay strong for other members of your family so you don't say anything. And... I remember also, like, aside from all of this, being bullied at school. So it was just, it felt like a battle on so many different fronts. Oh, wow, that must have been so tough. It was. Um, I think because of the pandemic and being in lockdown, obviously I put it, I've avoided it for as much as I can, uh, for as long as I could. But, um, you know, pandemic season six has given me a lot of time to sit and think about how if I want to move forward in a healthy way, I also have to face all the trauma that I've safely packed away in a Pandora's box because on some days it feels like you open that box for a little bit, sneak a little memory out, and then you remember the details, but before you think of your reaction, how it made you feel, you put it back into that box. But I realized that in adulthood, you can't actually move forward unless you have faced all of that. Now, touching on these challenges... Do you think that your work in this space, do you think that is because of what you've been through or do you think it's in spite of what you've been through? I would say in spite of 
Yeah. Because um, something my counselor told me the other day was when you faced a lot of trauma, you have two choices. Number one is continue that cycle of trauma by inflicting it on others. Or number two is just being better uh, than the people who inflicted it. And so I would say in spite of, because I'm not going to lie, it's very easy to just give up and like go with the whole... Uh, go with the whole explanation, the world is doomed, why bother saving it? But my mom's taught me the power of hope. And I think she's she's much better at like learning when to hope. But in my case, it's just, I'm just a hopeful person. Um, and it's just a big part of who I am. And it's my hope that, you know, maybe the world can be saved. But that doesn't mean we don't we don't try to do better. Because if we, the day we stop is the day we've already failed. Is just, it's just my, it's just my thought. What is leadership to you? I think leadership is creating a safe space where everyone feels heard, everyone feels respected, and everyone is able to participate in the process of developing, whether it's a campaign, a project, and ensuring that along the way, it's not just about what the organization, what the staff or volunteers are doing for the organization. It's also about what the organization does for them. Mm-hmm. Over the years, I've had um, I've had some amazing uh, supervisors who, thank God, they all had this one thing in common, aside from just being wonderful, is that they wanted to hear what I thought about things. It didn't matter if I was just an intern or I was just I was just a junior person in the role. They valued my opinion, and that gave me the confidence to flourish, you know, and become more confident in my ideas and my thoughts. Because like. For example, um, I should say this might seem a bit silly, but, you know, we could do this. And then one of my bosses, ex-bosses was like, I could don't say that because then that means that you don't believe in the idea yourself. And so and then he would call me out on it several times. Like he'd pull me aside and do it. But like that made me go, OK, I need to start more confident when I pitch my ideas. Um, become so confident that I'm not afraid to speak my mind. And that's. That's what I want for my I want for my volunteers as well. That they are, they're happy, they're flourishing, and that they are excited about the work they do, and they feel that above all that they're in a safe space. That element of saying, "Oh, this might sound silly," but there's a an undertone of being apologetic about that. You know that that tone is apologetic. Do you think that's where your messaging around "Don't say sorry" comes from? I think so, because um, (laughs) I'm just a very introspective person. When I've seen something happen in another organization or in another workplace, I reflect on how it applies to INAC. Like, for example, recently I found out um, by accident, actually, that an organization, the staff and volunteers of the organization are being bullied by their leader. And I was so shocked. And then made me realize that, thank God, that's never happened here. But, you know, it also, I know that if it ever happens, I'd want the volunteers, like, I want them to be the first ones to raise their voice about it. Because, you know, if something's wrong, it's wrong. There's no black or white or gray in some situations. Um, Well, in some situations, it's possible to have shades of gray. But in other situations, if something's wrong, it's it's just wrong. Um, And... I'd want them to be the first ones to speak up about it. And I've also noticed that as women, we apologize for so many things. And also as 
as members of marginalized groups, we apologize for so many things when we really don't have to. And so um, when any member of my team does that, I actually take a minute, I'm like, sidebar, please, what are the golden rules? And then I, you know, put them out again, because I don't want them to um, have this become a part of them, where they feel that they have to apologize for something, even when they haven't done anything wrong. And, you know, hence why the two rules, not just, not just one, don't say sorry unless you've done something truly atrocious. And number two is there's no such thing as a stupid idea because they're both interlinked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also part of leadership is passing on healthy, sustainable practices to people that you supervise, people you work with, because there's enough toxic practices out there. But it's about, you know, there's an equal amount of good, healthy practices out there as well. So I just which ones you choose to take on. What piece of advice would you give to someone setting out on a similar journey to the one you've had? I would say that you hold more power than you think. The reason I say that is because there's going to be several moments where you think that you're not good enough, where you you think that you can't do it. But take a moment and breathe when you have those moments because what you do in those moments where you fall down and get up again is what counts and shape who you are as, as a leader. For example, today, obviously, there's, like I love my friends and family. I do. But the people I relate the most to professionally are other founders because we all have different struggles, but also very similar struggles at the same time. Like how hard it is to put up to create something new, uh, the sleepless nights that you would give again in a heartbeat because you want your project, your baby to succeed. The, the tears of joy and frustration that are sometimes often interlinked as well. And how inspiring, you know, other founders are. And it just, it's, it's like a, it's like when you go to the spa to recharge, mm-hmm. um, still love going to the spa, but I feel like, you know, talking to other founders also has a similar effect is that you just recharge by all the energy in the room, by, you know, all the, the determination and the passion that they bring to everything that they do. Um, so many of my friends have, they run projects or organizations or campaigns around the world and even here. And I'm not friends with them because of that. <laughs> I mean, I'm friends with them because they're lovely human beings. But also, it's great that, you know, we get each other on that level as well. It's immensely inspiring and it helps keep you going because two months ago, I was this close to, you know, I was in a really bad situation because of some actions by other people. And I just wanted to give up. And then someone told me, you actually hold more power than you think. And at that moment, I didn't believe her, you know, because what happened was incredibly traumatic. And so I shut down for two weeks and slowly. And then I woke up on the third week. I sound a bit like Jesus, but I woke up and I decided to just fight because one of the things of, this is very messed up to say, but one of the upsides of trauma when you've been fighting it for a long time is that it helps make you a fighter. Mm-hmm. So in this case, um, even when you're knocked down, you do get up again. It's just a question of when. It's not if, it's about when. So I got up and I just started to rebuild. And that's when her words hit me. And I was like, oh, this is what she meant. You're always going to be knocked down, even more so when you're not a white man, you know, mm-hmm. who's who has this privilege just by simply being 
a friend of mine last year told me when I was thinking of applying for a job, but I wasn't sure if I met all the criteria. And she said, have the confidence of an average white man. And she was <laughs> right. Um, I applied for the job. I did get the job. Um, I recently finished up there, actually. But um, yeah, there was it was an important lesson in many ways. And also to add to that, there's always a lot of people out there who would want to help you with your cause. Like I recently formed an advisory board for Sonic Compliment and they made it's made up of women who are absolute superstars, true feminists, true allies who want the cause to succeed, who want you to succeed. I'm trying not to say the word kick-ass, but they're just great. When I was forming it and they all said they wanted to be on it, on the board, uh, advisory board, it was like a moment of true feminist solidarity. What a feeling. How amazing. It's amazing. After having that traumatic month, you know, and finally getting up to, to fight again and then having this moment of feminist solidarity just, just made me want to keep going as well. I think that is an incredible piece of advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for having me. It's your great host. Um, and it's, this has been a truly enjoyable experience. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.